Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 83 of Destination Linux. I'm Michael Tunnell, and with me today is Ryan. What have you been up to this week, Ryan? So, first, I was just going to talk about the fact that I've installed a brand new PCI fan, PCI slotted fan, into my case to help cool the Vega 64 and Ryzen 7 2700X to give mm-hmm. some extra cooling to the beast. So that's exciting. But then what happened, and, and I'll get back to that in a second, is Zeb went out on our Telegram group and started dropping pictures of his Raspberry Pi, showing it off, shoving it in my face, like, look what I got, look what I'm doing. So you know what I did? I got my Raspberry Pi out. I have it sitting here. I've got Raspbian on it because I was not going to be outdone. So whatever project he does on his Raspberry Pi, I'm going to top it tenfold at least. And <laughs> Tenfold. Savagery. Yes. Yeah, like if he goes and he creates like a website, I'm creating a full automated AI robot on this thing. I mean, I'm going full out. But uh, no, but I did did put that PCI slot fan in and I wanted to see. It's a big 220 millimeter fans on this. It goes inside. It goes between your video card and, um, you know, your CPU on the motherboard or depending where you have it. It doesn't actually connect to the motherboard, by the way. It's just uh, it just sits there in one of the slots, the open PCI slots. So the temperatures... Do you want to know what this amazing device was able to do? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm it, on the edge of my seat. All right. Two degrees. It, it dro- Seb, you killed the whole, the whole excitement here. You killed all the excitement. It was four degrees, sir. Four <laughs> degrees. I got cooler now. So obviously I can overclock everything, and it's all going to run swimmingly well. But it was only Perfect. $14. I wanted to try it and see what the difference is. So if you've seen these fans out there, you get about between four and eight degree uh, drop in temperature, which isn't pretty, terrible. I mean, for pretty good for bucks, fifteen bucks, but, yeah, yeah, you know. So that's what <laughs> I've been up to. All right, cool. So also with us this week is Zeb. What have you been doing this week? Hiya. Um, well, I've been replacing that behemoth of a monster um, monitor that I had. You know, that forty-three inch thing that used to just totally dominate my desk. Yeah. Um, so now I've we got, an, to my a, son a, got a new now. custom uh, camera angle too. Yeah, that's because I've, I've gone down to a much more sensible 27-inch uh, monitor. Still 4K. Um, so I'm now having to deal with HIDPI issues because now everything, if I have it 4K, is like I'm squinting at the screen. So um, I've got to find a distribution that works incredibly well with HIDPI. But it was it was all good. It was a, it was a fun week. Fantastic. So... So starting the show, we're going to start with the uh, email we got this week. So Zeb, if you wouldn't, if you would do the honors, uh, I will do. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, but this particular email was quite heart wrenching um, when I read it. Um, so I'm not really good at heart wrenching stuff, but I'll, I'll do my best. So the email starts off. I stumbled across the podcast at a time in my life when I was struggling with the worst depression and anxiety I had ever experienced in my life. I am so grateful that I did find it, though. The very first episode I saw had Martin Wimpress on as a guest. The banter between Ryan and Wimpy was the first thing that was able to make me laugh in months. I can't describe how much I appreciated all of the hard work from the past and current lineup. You guys renew my passion and excitement for Linux every week. Thanks for helping create and maintain a community that cares about a project that is actually making a difference in the world. And a community where I can remain silent but still feel like I'm surrounded by friends in Discord and Telegram. Friends who love to talk about Linux and computers as much as I do and won't perceive me as just some nerd that isn't worth talking to. I feel home. All of your hard work is what keeps us going and drives us to want to learn more. I genuinely can't thank you guys enough for everything you do. I'll be around as long as Destination Linux is around. See you Saturday. And on that note, I would love you to take you up on that offer. And can I have some stickers? You're going to have some stickers, my <laughs> friend. You're definitely getting some stickers out there. Um, Listen, I got this, some goosebumps from that. Yeah, this email, I, I shared it the second I saw it come in the box because I don't think we've ever received an email this kind of 
amazing. And um, I, I don't know, it just made us, it, it made me and I know everybody else just feel incredible about the show and keeping it going. You know, obviously we're trying, we're figuring out all the ways to keep the show going with three hosts now and the amount of love and support that we talked about even last week. It's grown even more this week. It just keeps compiling. People want the show and obviously the show's had an impact and I just, it's just an amazing, thank you for taking the time to share that with us um, because it definitely makes an impact on our lives and Mm -hmm. uh, makes us want to continue on for sure. Let's go. Let's we'll move on, and we're going to talk about some summertime news. And in that is summertime solace. This is a really cool thing that they talked about on their blog, which they made. They did a hack fest, and they did a ten-hour video, and you can watch that. The whole thing of Josh and Brian uh, hacking around on solace projects on YouTube. So, uh, just the most more details about that, Ryan. How do you? What did you think about this? Well, I love this idea of the Hackfest. Every time we've covered Hackfest, what we see come out of them is incredible. And there are many companies, big companies out there that do these. But I love seeing it with distros. We love Solus. We love having Ike on. Uh, we've had him on the show several times. He's a huge hit. People love seeing him on Destination Linux. So anything related to his project is always a hit. And funny enough, Solus has been really popular in our Telegram group recently. There is a lot of people talking about Solus. So the hype train is back on the, the Solus world and the budgie world uh, as well. But this 10-hour video features Brian and Josh from the development team. And it's what is really neat about them doing a 10-hour YouTube video is they actually have their code up. So what I liked about this idea is you could sit there and watch them working on these various projects. And if you yourself are interested in getting involved in projects and things like that, you can see the tools they use, you can see some of the code that they write and how they interact with each other, which is really cool. Um, In addition to this, they actually accomplished some really great things for their project. Now, as a consumer of it, you may not see those benefits right away. But one of those projects is Cuppa. And it's what Cuppa is, these are new developer tools will allow them to basically track software updates across all the platforms. And until I was looking into this, I didn't realize, I didn't think about the fact that they have to track on, you know, different software packages that are loaded on GitHub, CPAN, GNOME, Hackage, JetBrains, Launchpad, PyPy, RubyJet, all these different areas where a package could be and exist and try to find out, is there an update for it? So when they're releasing a new version, they've got to pull up each package, find out what the latest version is, find out what site it's on, pull it down. If the developer moved it, well, then you got a whole nother issue. Well, this tool does all that for them, helps keep track of where all the projects are upstream and allows it to be pulled down, which is going to save them a ton of time. So I Mm -hmm. thought that was a really, really cool package. What else did you see in here? Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing that you don't see is, yes, all these upgrades are coming in. They've then got to try that upgrade to see whether or not any type of regression has crept in that then breaks something further down the line. So it's amazing that they've got a tool that helps them look, but they've then still got to do the graft to pull that particular version in, try it with all their products and and just work out whether or not it's going to break. And we sit here moaning, where's the next version? Where's the next yeah, version? Exactly. They've been on 3.999999 now forever. Right. There's so much work involved. It's just awesome. And watching these guys, I don't know if you've ever sat there in an office and had somebody watching you typing over your shoulder. Oh, gosh, it's terrible, especially coding. I make so many mistakes just trying to type an email if someone's watching. And yet these guys have got thousands of people watching them on YouTube. Awesome. Truly yeah, awesome. it's it's a that's a big task to, to undertake. <laughs> yeah, you have to be very confident in your coding. And I work with some amazing coders at my job. And the second they have to share their screen, it's like they freeze. Like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I, how do I type anything? It gets to the point where we all laugh about it and just turn off your screen and write the code because you just have that <laughs> I don't know that nerves that kind of kick in. So yeah, it was cool. I, I love that they put it on YouTube for everybody to see because I know a lot of people, including myself. I've always been interested in how can I get more involved? What tools do they use? Will I look like an idiot? Well, yes, the answer to that is yes. But will I look like an idiot because I'm not, I don't even have the right IDEs pulled up, that type of stuff. So you get to see all of those things uh, with them live. They also did other work in this 10-hour video as well. 
uh, like they have the EOPKG depths release of the tool, which is basically goes out and looks for dependencies of these tools out there. I don't know everything of how exactly it works, but it goes out and looks for the dependencies that are needed and attempts to find them or figure out what's going to break to stop packages from having fallout. Mm-hmm. So again, some more developer tools in there as well. They also did some work that you would be able to see uh, for Budgie 10.5. They're going to introduce a new Raven section in the Budgie desktop settings. This will allow things like raising the volume past 100%, focus windows for your mouse movement, so you can change the settings. So Budgie's getting a lot more customizable, which mm-hmm. I think is some feedback based on what I was hearing and reading in the notes that they've gotten that they're taking to make things more customizable and add some of those features and things you can change, like text scaling and those type of uh, features allow you to tweak things a little bit uh, while you're messing with it. And then they did some bug fixes as well in there. And listen, uh, you know, the Budgie team and the Solus team, they just do some incredible work. I mean, the coding that they, they accomplished from the beginning, it may not be for every single person may not be in love with Solus, but I guarantee you every single person who's used it respects it for what it is because it's very, mm-hmm. very solid code. So oh, yeah. you're getting you're getting expert level um, you're getting to watch experts at work uh, if you watch that video there. Yeah, I also think that that Solus is like one of the the like the most polished by default out of the box experiences, and to now add an extra layer where you can customize that experience is going to make it much better. Like it's, it'll make it one of the top options. Yeah, and the other thing that made me really fall in love with this entire development team is the screenshot on the work that they did for this summer release shows somebody having a music player. There is one album in that music player. It is Nine Inch Nails with Teeth album. Nine Inch Nails being one of my favorite bands of all time. So see, I got something in common with the Solus developers there. We're like this. You know what I mean? All right, maybe not. But there is another <laughs> distro in there uh, that has some news. At least you like the same taste of music. Netrunner rolling 2018.08 is here. So... Netrunner has a Debian and an Archbase that you can play with, and it sports. It's like you write this stuff, Michael. Another KDE article. It sports the KDE <laughs> desktop environment, um, but this distro is based on Manjaro and features rolling releases and a very polished KDE implementation. So no, I haven't actually tried this particular version of Netrunner, but Netrunner used to be one of my go-to distributions when I just needed to get something on that worked. Um, I think they used to be based originally on Kubuntu, and Hmm. then they jumped from Kubuntu over to uh, Manjaro, and that was at a time when I thought Manjaro was pretty good. So yeah, I've used it, and I don't know how they do it, but whatever, whatever base they put themselves on they need that they seem to add a bit of polish a bit of pizzazz a bit of design flair and you immediately know it's a it's a net runner uh distribution so yeah it's they they produce some some quality distros i like them hmm. michael have you ever checked out netrunner yeah I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it i don't i'm not really um i'm not really sure about the the, the rolling version i haven't tried the rolling one but the debian version is really solid so we mm-hmm. ran into a question on here when we were doing a kind of a review of our notes. And it, one of the notes for the changes in this version is seamless GTK app integration, basically meaning you'll now have Kwin borders on GTK apps so they don't look different from each other. But, mm-hmm. Michael, you were, as our resident expert, we're saying that's always been the case everywhere else. So what gives on that? Yeah, I have no idea. Like, it doesn't. To me, that that statement doesn't make any sense because I've been using Plasma for years and I've never seen that as a problem. Like it might be a problem for in some cases, maybe, but like for like if you're using one of like the universal formats or something like that. But I've never like just a basic application of GTK is perfectly you know accessible. And I think mm-hmm. it, it could be some distros don't take into consideration the the integration work that the GTK uh, that the KDE team has done with GTK. So there are there are possibilities that they just don't include that those packages to make it work, mm. but there's been for especially in Plasma Five, there's been a, a GTK integration system for years because it it allows you to have like the integration with not only the the Blender borders, but you can also have it where the color scheme from the Qt version of the the applications will migrate to the GTK version. So mm-hmm. like this this that 
statement doesn't make any sense to me. So maybe all. it's just an issue they had maybe in a prior version, potentially it could be, and they fixed it. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Um, they have new plasma theme and wallpaper. They've added a new plasma tweak section. They've updated a bunch of packages. So I hadn't played with Netrunner before. I hadn't uh, heard of it, but I downloaded it when it came up in the news and started playing with it. Now, I'm not a fan of KDE's attempts at a dashboard menu. I just do not think it works well. Like The GNOME dashboard to me is well done, the KDE dashboard, although you can tweak it. And certainly you can change it to any menu you want, so it's a small thing. That that was the first thing I had to change immediately. Mm-hmm. But after that, I thought it looked beautiful. I mean, it's based on Manjaro, which is a fantastic uh, Arch-based distribution in itself. Mm-hmm. Now, they do do some work, uh, I guess, with under the hood in their own patches and packaging, which is one of the things I researched because I'm like, well, what are you doing with why do you what do you need to add in to Manjaro? Because Manjaro has a KDE version as well, and it looks like they include some of their under the hood patching and packages, and they have things that are not in the Manjaro Arch repositories by default. So I guess they do some of their own kind of tweaking and um, you know tweaks out there to make it mm-hmm. a different experience than Manjaro. Yeah. They add extra like they they improve some features and they make. They do more polishing towards the plasma aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And I guess they take a little longer to release some of the updates. Not a lot longer, just a tad. And because of that, it may be more stable. I heard some comments when I was researching of people saying that. I don't know if that's true or not, So, but that is what some people's opinions were on it, that it was slightly more stable with the package releases. So there you go. Well, I mean, certainly- yeah. I was going to say, sorry, it certainly seemed very stable when I was when I was uh, using it as a daily driver. Never had many issues with it at the all. Less, the less fast you change, thing, change things, the more likely the things will not mess up as much. Imagine so, that. Yeah. So it, regardless of like whether it's stable or not, if you just don't change anything, it's going to be stable because if it works, it works. Stop so. updating your machines, people. I'm not saying that, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, stability and the term stable in software doesn't mean the same thing. Okay. Well, that's so. a really strange statement as well, because there's always news about Plasma having another version coming out. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look, lo and behold, <laughs> K- KDE Plasma 5.14 adds new features to upgrade firmware. Now, when I read this, uh, the back of my mind started tingling and I had visions of me back in 1980 updating <laughs> a gateway computer, putting the floppy disk into the machine and telling it to update the BIOS and then sort of like 45 minutes later, no machine. Right. So I've not touched a BIOS update since, but apparently this has got new technology and they're working with one of the um, largest laptop manufacturers in the world, Lenovo, to try and get all this stuff ironed out. Now, I know, Ryan, you keep up on this sort of stuff, so tell me why this is a good thing. Oh, this is this is incredible. This it really continues to show. The one thing I will always give KDE is they push the envelope of technology for Linux and what it can do. I mean, they did that with the uh, phone connections, being able to connect and have you know that seamless integration with messaging and everything for your phones. They kind of do it across the board. It's one of the most beautiful desktops when you get into it uh, ever uh, because of all the technology and things that they put into it. But this this is taking things again to a whole new level. So, for instance, recently I purchased a MSI X470 Carbon Pro Gamer motherboard for my Ryzen 7. And I've had nothing short of seven, I think it's been five actually, but it feels like seven, BIOS updates that have occurred since I bought it. Now, this right. is very unusual. Motherboards, generally, you are not updating the, fir- you know, the flashing the BIOS that often on them. But Typically, I'm guessing, no more than once every three years. Yeah, I mean, it's something most people don't even touch. But in my case, my motherboard allows you to update it with the USB drive. So I don't have to boot into Windows. However, people who have certain laptops or certain computers that don't have that feature of being able to flash via the bio, uh, via USB actually have to go into Windows because that's the only supported method to complete those firmware upgrades, whether it's with mm-hmm. video cards, motherboards, other things. So this requires you then as a Linux user to keep a Windows partition on your machine, whether it's your laptop or whatnot. That's a horrible situation to be in. So what this 
group has done now is they've started working on the LVFS, the Linux Vendor Firmware Service, and they're bringing in manufacturers into here to allow you to update and flash your BIOS from Linux itself. And the companies that are on board currently are two of the biggest manufacturers of laptops out there, and that is Dell and Lenovo, as you mentioned. So this is absolutely huge, I think, and a fantastic way of allowing people to stay in Linux full-time and bring in the vendors into the Linux world. Right, and also it allows them to do, because the motherboard is part of the updates of the firmware, it allows it to also submit firmware updates to other peripherals that are attached to the motherboard. So it becomes more than just the motherboard itself, it's devices and and all kinds of things. So like the the fact that Lenovo has announced that they're becoming a partner for this is is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. Uh, now they're using the FW update library and then the FU, FU, FWUPD, I guess is what it's called. Forward update, maybe is what it stands for, something like that, backend, which was developed by Richard Hughes. So they're taking work from other folks. They're putting it all together, but essentially this is going to be there. And the only other laptop manufacturer that had something like this was System76. If you're in Pop! OS and you had a System76 laptop, you could update the firmware through uh, the operating system. I don't know what they used to do that, but this now adds it's in a custom one they built. Dell and Lenovo. So mm-hmm. I think it's amazing work. And I love that KDE continues to push this. And I love that we've got these big developers in because a couple episodes ago, we talked about Dell releasing their new XPS lineup of laptops with Linux support in there. Of course, a lot of people in the Linux community love Lenovo. So those are your two biggest ones right out of the box. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, and we just need to let you know HP know that they're on notice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, HP. Get with the program. <laughs> so uh, coming up is we have some new, new updates that also they're getting with the program, and that's Xorg. So Xorg has a new release of 1.20.1. 1. And this one has a lot of good, good stuff that's actually uh, related to hardware improvements, but main, like there's some a lot of good Wayland stuff coming. So, mm-hmm. Ryan, t- what do you think about this? Well, I spent some time after moving to AMD and playing with the Wayland, and I'm excited for Wayland and what it can be, but I'm also not somebody who could use it full-time. For instance, like even an OBS being able to record a screen feature didn't work. And gaming, the frames per second were 30, 40 frames per second less than what you would get in X. Now, they're still working on it. They've been working on it for 10 years, but Xorg's been out there for what, 20? I don't know. Uh, Been out there for a while. So, you know, they're still working on it, and they're doing fantastic work. But one of the things I loved seeing in the Xorg Server 1.20.1 release is the EGL streams for X Wayland patches. So X Wayland mm-hmm. is basically an ability to try to run X services within Wayland. Is that the right way to describe it, Michael? Yes, it's trying to run X code on top using Wayland as the protocol, but using X to like render everything. And X Wayland is like a it's a shim or a bridge between the two. Which this is amazing because you have these two projects and I don't think they're really competing against each other, but now they've created this bridge between them. So Wayland technically with X Wayland in there can become a lot more um, compatible with some of the other software that it's not today and uh, allow you to actually have a pretty good experience within Wayland. Because right now, Fedora 28 in a Wayland session, and if you're doing anything that's not, you know, your basic, I don't know, Chromebook activities like browsing the web and stuff like that. It's not a fantastic experience if you're doing any type of yeah. um, high-end GPU work. But they're getting there. It's getting better. It's way better than it's ever been before, and I think the team's amazing. But I love seeing them kind of do some cross-collaboration and bridging here because that's only going to be good for Wayland, which ultimately is what we're all basing our future on as our display manager, right? Whether you like mm-hmm. it or not. That's what's happening. <laughs> exactly, whether you like it or not. So but there you go. NVIDIA is actually doing some work on this as well, um, somewhat. It's mainly the X server team, but the EGL streams, having that being like worked on for X Wayland is good because the NVIDIA 
the problem with Nvidia, you know how when you when the, uh, the Ubuntu seventeen ten came out and they had the they had the, the default was Wayland for the GNOME session, mm-hmm. and if you had Nvidia, it would force it automatically back to X. Yes. Not even like not even consider it. It was because that Nvidia made the EDL streams, which essentially ignored the existing code that was already in the kernel. So they wanted to make their own, and this allows this this work that the Xorg team is making is allowing those types of APIs to work on Wayland. So it's possible that you wouldn't have to automatically just abandon it if you have Nvidia. So that's good. I nice. would like it for Nvidia to just do it themselves, but you know, yeah. Baby steps. Team Green, right, Zeb? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So there's some other updates coming in 1.20, but I think that's going to be some good stuff seeing. I'm I'm interested in following Wayland and seeing where it goes because I know it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be our future, and I'm waiting for it to to get there fully so we can, you know, use it some more. But also GNOME 3.30, talking about updates, they are starting to incorporate automatic updates in the next release of GNOME. So there's a bunch of features in GNOME 3.30, but one that's hit the headlines is their ability to automatically update applications. Now, currently, that's only going to work with flat packs. So you get the auto updates with flat packs, which kind of makes sense. Um, but I assume maybe snaps and other things are coming soon. Snaps have a built-in auto-update already. Oh, that's why it wasn't listed there, though. So that's done. So it would be their other repositories, yeah. I guess, would be the other ones they could yeah. add in there. The other repositories, like the the actual, like, like the, making it work with, uh, like, DEBs and RPMs and stuff like that. Because the, the app images don't have a mechanism for auto-updating. And Snaps have the automatic built-in with SnapD. Nice. Cool. So there are some other improvements in here for flat packs as well that are really included in Nautilus being able to discover and search for them. So we're getting more flat pack love there in GNOME. Yay. Sounds good. I mean I'm for well, I'm for flat pack. I mean I'm also for snaps and you're pro flat pack? I'm pro all three of them. Nice. So because they 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 all work together and they don't conflict mm-hmm. with each other. So there's no reason not to be for all of them. So I don't care if, as long as a developer makes something for one of them. I don't well, care. you bring up an interesting point because I was reading an article that was talking about Linux being fractured software repositories, which mm-hmm. cracked me up. But one of the points in it was that flat packs and snaps. When are we going to pick one? And I thought, why does why do we have to pick one? Why couldn't you use mm-hmm. both? I mean, yeah, it kind of sticks with the Linux program. I use a combination of flat packs and snaps, and and yeah. everything else in between. The devs and RPMs, you had to pick one because they conflicted with each other. Whereas flat packs, snaps, and app images all work together and you don't have to care. And as a user, on the user side, I love not having to care about which one the developer wants to choose because they like one technically better than the other. And mm-hmm. on the developer side, I'm so happy to not have to make dev files, 50 dev files for 100 different distros and stuff like that. Right. That's that's a that's a massive improvement on both sides. So I'm I'm for all three of them because... There's no reason not to be. There you go. Good, good. Well, this next article uh, will certainly be one that needs discussion. We've all come to getting used to the fact that every now and again, Firefox comes along and takes its foot and shoves it straight in its mouth. (laughs) And it's done it again. So Firefox (laughs) is going to be experimenting with recommending articles. Now, my understanding of what this is going to be is Firefox is experimenting with recommending articles based on your browser history. Mm-hmm. I don't need to talk about this one. Y'all go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this new experiment is a cooperation between Mozilla and Laserlike. Mm-hmm. Well, hang on a minute. Isn't Mozilla meant to be this exponent of freedom and we're not going to use your data. We're not going to nick your data. It's not another Google. What are they doing and who's Laserlike? Well, so first off, uh, I have no idea who Laserlike is. But <laughs> uh, I can say the fact that they're, they're not taking your data without your permission. Because this is an add-on. And if you wanted to use this, you have to install the add-on. It's true. So, today, right. anyways. Let's, we're talking about today, Okay. Mm. Let's, let's not worry about this. Because they have a great track record of not adding software in when you don't want it. 
It's okay. So they've taken their foot out of their mouth, but they've still got their big toe stuck in their mouth. So yeah. technically, yes, you do have to go in and install this software if you want them to recommend it. Now, who actually wants a service that recommends other things for you to browse? When I'm on the web, I know exactly what I want to go, and I want to be mm-hmm. lost to myself. I don't want someone to tell me they recommend, you know, I look at this or look at that. I don't need any of this crap. I don't know why this improves anybody's experience. Does anybody get on the web like, I don't know what to do. I wish there was a browser. It would tell me. Like, well, this, who wants this? this? Nobody wants that, this. Well, yeah, everybody I, looks at news and they do RSS feeds and get stuff that's sent to them and stuff like that. So there's kind of a benefit there. But as far as like just the random news is stuff. a perfect example because it's always wrong there is nothing more that i hate than tmz and celebrity news it's banned from my home like i hate celebrity news i don't care about them and oh, yeah. every time i go into a news site the first thing like i used to use google news a lot the first thing i would recommend is like look what the kardashians are up to i'm like i don't care i literally could care less about what they're up to. I never I also, click on the articles, but it constantly recommends them. This stuff I, is worthless, man. I was, Absolutely I was, I was, worthless. I get the same thing when I'm watching videos that they happen to put someone's name in the title of the video, and all of a sudden I start getting stu- like recommendations for this. They're like, no, I, I don't care. Just because I watched a video that, also, that happened to talk about that person doesn't mean I care about that person. Well, yeah. for me, this is just going to add to the awful um, situation that we're in at the moment. You go onto Amazon... You buy a product, and then two days later, Amazon say, oh, I know, Robert, why don't you buy this product? Hey, yeah. look at your records. <laughs> I just bought it two days ago. Why do I need to buy it again? Yeah. And then, they, and then I, they, you know, you've bought product A, and then up comes product Z. Yeah. What on earth has it got to do with, it's not even B or C, close to it. It's something totally random and... Leave me alone. I know where I want to go. I know what I want to buy. Please don't experiment anymore, Firefox. Just do what you're good at and give us a browser and we'll make our own mind up. Nobody asked for this. Not ever and never will. We don't want recommendations. I don't want them from Laser, like Focus or whatever it's called. I don't want them from Pocket. I don't want them from Google. I don't want them from Amazon. Leave me alone and let me browse the web in peace. Mm-hmm. So okay, I, just to be clear, they should not keep, they should not stop doing experiments because that brought us container tabs and a lot of other cool things. So keep doing experiments, just not these, not this yeah, kind. Stop of Stop this one, please. Feel free mm-hmm. to stop this forever. And also, let me take out Pocket. Finally, come on. I don't. Yeah. For uh, yes, Pocket is now open source, and that's great. I don't want it in my 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 browser because I don't care and I don't use it. But I agree. Listen, I I just want to clarify. I love Firefox. It's my go-to browser. As I talked about last episode, Michael sold it on to me. I just, I hate stuff like this because this stuff annoys me to tears. However, it is very important to mention this is not something supposedly they're automatically installing in your browser. Uh, It's a web extension you'd have to install currently. However, if they do put something like in this, I'm going to be singing Vivaldi again. Yes, I, I, I would have to agree. Uh, I, I don't know, very begrudgingly, but Firefox has been my my go-to browser for uh, before it was called Firefox. So um, that would that's, be hard for me to not have the workflow that I'm so used to because there's, there's certain features that are in Firefox that I won't go into exactly, but they they don't exist in any other browser, and without them, it would be just incredibly irritating for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, also, so one of the things that's also incredibly irritating is email. Yes. But in the sense of desktop email clients, there's very few of them that are very are good. And some of them don't get very many updates very quickly. But something that did get a recent update, which is very, very welcomed, is Thunderbird 16 has been released. Yes, it is here. Yeah, We've been absolutely. waiting for this ever since we had him on the show. Yeah, exactly. And, four uh, weeks ago? I yeah, no I've had idea. to wait four weeks, Zeb. Do you know how impatient I am? Mm-hmm. I don't oh, even want to yes. wait for popcorn to finish popping. <laughs> I just take it out when the bag's half inflated because I'm impatient. Yeah. Just when you hear one pop, that's enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Thunderbird's released, and they have some new features we've all been waiting for, like UI improvements. So it's looking fresh and cool now. It doesn't look 
you know, it didn't look terrible before, but it was it was starting to show its age, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've got some new fresh looks in there, and there's also some other notable features that they have. Any of these stick out to you guys? Uh, dark themes. Thank you. Very much. Everybody's loving the dark themes, man. Like I like I like a mixture of dark and light themes because I want the ability to have some applications dark and some applications light, and the fact that they allow you to have the choice directly in the application is fantastic. Some of the applications that you use, they just use whatever the system uses and forces it on there. I like the mm-hmm. ability of having to ter- be able to turn off the dark on some things because that's not really conducive for reading. So the idea of how they're making dark themes work. If they're making the entire interface dark and then the actual email is a light theme, that's perfect for me because it, it makes it easier to read, but also the stuff that's, you know, constant of uh, having to pay attention to it, that being dark makes it easier so you don't have to read every single, uh, you know, every single word that's on the screen at all times. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the idea of the mixture. I found something here quite amusing because this is the latest version of Thunderbird and they're bringing us all these wonderful new bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And they're also bringing us in an authenticator for Yahoo and AOL. Can you say Yahoo again, sir, please? Yahoo. <laughs> so do people actually still use Yahoo and AOL Mail? They better I not. I guess they must do. Uh, so, apparently they do, and this is this is news yeah. in itself. People use Yahoo and AOL. How many times? Let me ask the users if anybody out there uses Yahoo Mail. How many times does Yahoo Mail have to be hacked before you decide? Eh, maybe I'll use something else. Is it the fourth, fifth, sixth? Well, no, we know it's not the fourth, fifth, or sixth because that's how many times it's already been hacked in like the last three years. So is it the eighth, ninth, and tenth that you go? Maybe, maybe it should go somewhere well, else. Could it be? I mean, I'm curious what a percentage would be of the people who are using, if you are using Yahoo, and if you are using that, what is the percentage of the people who are using it for garbage and they don't actually care? Like a so, spam account type yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you're like, hey, would you like to sign up for this particular thing because you're at this restaurant? No. No, I don't. But here's a Yahoo account, so you leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point, Michael. That's a fair point. If you use it as a junk mail account, that's exactly what it was intended for, uh, <laughs> as well as AOL account. If you use it for legitimate mail, please, for the love of all that's good in the world, switch to something more secure, like anything. Anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they've added in some, you know, additional calendar improvements in there. They've got theming for their chat. So there's all kinds of cool things to check out in Thunderbird 60. Yeah, so, sounds good. So there seems to be lots, lots of releases in the air. Another company that's on the bandwagon for issuing new releases is LibreOffice. Um, and LibreOffice 6.1 has been released with a whole raft of changes. Um, and it's another one of those lists where I haven't got a clue what half of them mean. <laughs> so I'm going to leave, I mean, um, various Mac OS, no, I don't use Mac, so I don't need to know about that one. DocX, import, export, never works anyway, so I don't know why they're still trying to do it, because Microsoft will never allow you to import this. <laughs> it's like Zeb's on a rant. <laughs> Well, because they'll, they'll always, Microsoft will always do something different to make sure that these companies' systems mm. don't work as well as they should do. And then everybody moans and says, oh, I know, I must be. But I do like LibreOffice because they do keep it fresh. They do keep bringing out um, new ideas. And what's, what's funny about this is I have to use Office at work. Um, and I go into work sometimes and I go to do something and I go, no, I'm not at home. I'm in the office. I've got to do it a different way now. And that way feels alien. And for me, that's great. That's losing oh, yeah. those old reflexes from, from doing it the Windows ways. So I haven't actually installed the new release yet. I don't know if any of you guys have. But, Michael, can you explain any of some of these more complicated features that are coming along? Well, there's the things that are doing that are actually really good as far as like the complicated stuff is adding improvement to certain types of formats and like the 2003 XML f- for import for Excel. That's that's good because you know any kind of format improvement for LibreOffice or any kind of mm-hmm. open source Office suite to work with MS Office is good. But what I li- one of the things I like is the support for GTK3 dialog windows that are you can now use. The, on the Linux version of LibreOffice now supports 
uh, native dialogue windows instead of like this weird kind of thing that they kind of created themselves a long time ago. But I, I think they kind of inherited that from OpenOffice. But I've got a really technical one I can explain if you want, Michael. Oh, okay, go ahead. Uh, you To generate a signature line now in this new one, you click insert and then you click signature line. Well, that's a that's a very very complicated one. I appreciate that. Yeah, that but actually, this is something I utilize quite often in Word and other documents for work. So having that there again is a very useful feature and ability to export to EPUB. So people who are making yes. their books mm-hmm. uh, within uh, you know LibreOffice, LibreOffice, then you have the ability to you know export straight to EPUB and then you can publish that. Of course, out to the various uh, online repositories for ebooks. So there's all kinds of cool things in here. But what it really made me think of when I looked at all these changes is imagine the world without this Office Suite in Linux. Like, this is an incredible, there are other alternatives, but this is always the best, in my mm-hmm. opinion. It's always been the best. And mm-hmm. I love that I can open up what is their equivalent, I think, called Sheets to Excel. And yeah, put sheets. in the formulas in there that I use in Excel that I've used for years, and they all work within Sheets perfectly. Mm-hmm. The taskbar and appearance is not far enough off that it takes me too long. Like Zeb said, it just takes me a second to go, okay, I'm not in office, and it's here. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's very familiar. This mm-hmm. work here that they've done here for free is amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing and every time it comes with the new release it makes me so happy because i think this is one of the standout premier tools office suites to show the power of open source software it's a very mm-hmm. good point because a lot of people look at it it's, it's a 6.1 release so it's a it's a maintenance basic not like doesn't matter release but basically every time they make a new release there's something that is a very important to a, to a lot of people that are using some kind of office software so it gives them a chance to and embrace the open source aspects of it. Yep. And and one of the funny things about LibreOffice is that LibreOffice is great. And if you're not aware, it's a fork. It was a fork of OpenOffice a very long time ago when uh, a company that should I not didn't be know named. That. Oh yeah. Uh, so I'll go ahead and tell you then. So Oracle purchased Sun, and Sun created OpenOffice. Oracle decided to destroy OpenOffice. Hmm. Uh, essentially making it terrible and trashy and, and making the and really annoying all the developers who worked on it so they just decided we'll just completely abandon the open open office brand because you own that brand but the code's open source we'll do whatever we want so they mm-hmm. created Liber- LibreOffice and what's really cool about that is that sometimes open office still gets updates and LibreOffice just goes oh let's see what this happens oh that's a good one we'll take that and then they put it in theirs <laughs> and it's perfect <laughs> Well, I would love to have this team on. I would love to do an interview with them. So if somebody's listening that knows somebody who's a developer or that team, oh, yeah, that'd be amazing. we would love to have you guys on because I think the work you do is incredible, and I'd love to learn more about it, how it got started, and all the history of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Me too. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. And some more fantastic news is that AMD has announced the pre-orders for their Threadripper 2. <laughs> And, that uh, voice, that was perfect, Michael. <laughs> People might have expected something else. But yeah. the Threadripper 2 is going to be... A, the, one of the things that, you know, the Threadripper is known for being a beast processor. Yeah. It's like just a crazy, massive beast. Yes. One of the things that I love about it is that they had a, there was an announcement that Intel offered saying... Hey, we got 28 cores, and this is like this big, powerful machine. And it was like not really available, and it had to do these ridiculous things to make it work. But the new Threadripper is going to have the maximum one's going to have 32 cores and mm. 64 threads, and it will actually work. <laughs> just sing to me when I hear that 32 <laughs> cores and 64 threads. You know, I just oh, yeah. want to get my wallet out and throw it at them. It, <laughs> this is just. This is just incredible. So we finally got the prices and the specs on these. You've got a couple families. Now, we laughed about this because AMD is not well known for their naming conventions, but I love their products. I love their new products especially. So you've got the X series of thread rippers, which are costs between eight and these are the most reasonably priced ones. Six hundred and forty nine <laughs> to eight hundred and ninety nine dollars. Uh, 12 cores and 16 cores, uh, depending if you have the 2920X or 2959. 
So that would be, of course, you just double that to figure out the threads there. So 24 threads and 32 threads consecutively. Then you have the WX series that has 24 cores and 48 threads. And then you have the Mecha, the 2990WX, 32-core, 64-thread CPU. And this one runs somewhere around the $1,799 price mark. Now, there is no kind of blaming on Rocco that I can do to get my <laughs> wife to forgive me for this kind of purchase. But, man, I've got the Ryzen 7 2700X, which is 8 cores and 16 threads. So just imagine what I could do on my machine if I had 32 cores now instead of just eight. I mean, I would destroy all of you in Ballistic Overkill like that. I mean, you couldn't even see my character. That's pretty well, much how it works, that's right? Pretty much, that's how, that is exactly yeah. how it works, yep. Good. But the only thing wrong with this is you've spent well, $1,799 on your Threadripper. You've forgotten that you've now got to go up to a 4K monitor so that when you put H-top on, it doesn't fall off the bottom of the screen. <laughs> you can actually see. Because how are they going to cope on, a, on, a, on an ordinary 1080p monitor? How are they going to display 64 threads? I mean, that's just mind-boggling. Um, I just love it. But most of the question, Ryan, would it fit your MSI motherboard? You know, it wouldn't because it is a different architecture. So you would need a new motherboard on top of that $1,799. So there's another $500. Yeah, but it does. It does include because they're not, they're trying to make sure you get the value for your money, a CPU mm -hmm. fan. Now, if you get Intel, <laughs> if you get Intel <laughs> CPUs, that's laughable because the Intel CPU fans are terrible. But the AMD CPU fans are actually quite beautiful. The one that came with my Ryzen 7 2700X is a beautiful RGB, which makes it faster, uh, fan that has uh, the spiral fan that's absolutely gorgeous. So there you go. Cool. Yep. It's, it's fans. I mean, you get, yeah, it's a good deal at that point, right? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> you get a free fan with that $1,700. Superb. Well, it certainly seems that AMD uh, are on a roll as well as, as, as all these software companies because, and I don't know why you guys keep giving me the technical things because you just want to hear me mess it up, don't yeah, you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So the AMD GPU, LRU, Bulk Patches, OpenCL, and Vulkan Boosts. Finally. Finally, I said <laughs> it properly. So I have absolutely, again, no idea what's going to happen. I'm no longer Team Red. Um, are you Team Red, Michael, or have you just got a, a basic Intel? What's your graphics card? I um, okay. Technically, I'm currently using an NVIDIA card, but I would say that I'll be Team Red whenever I buy a new machine or new mm -hmm. new parts specifically because of the support that they have shown for Linux. Uh, yes. The reason I went with NVIDIA is because prior to the past couple of years, AMD weren't showing that support to Linux, mm -hmm. and that's the only reason I went with NVIDIA. But now that AMD is, it's not only are they showing support for NVIDIA, NVIDIA, they're showing support for Linux, they're also showing support for open source, and that is a fantastic uh, improvement. So I'm, I'm excited to try Team Red. Yep. Mm -hmm. So this specifically is the LRUs they're talking about is last re recently used functionality. And so it's basically a way of taking all the bulk processes out there and being able to figure out a better way to load those into a single operation when the GPU is handling them. So they were able to accomplish this and the boost that they saw showed frame rates in Talus Principle, for instance, going from 147 to 163 frames per second using Vulkan and latency dropping an OpenCL from 76 down to 40, which mm -hmm. is incredible. Um, so we're not going to see this in the 4.19 kernel because it just dropped, but we will see it in the 5.0 kernel, likely. But this, what is unique about the Vega series card, the Vega 64, uh, and I've talked about this before, is it keeps getting faster. They, they, and I'm not, I'm not praising AMD on this because they released the card way before it was ready. And because of that, though, we are, the people who've had the Vega at the beginning had a terrible experience. The people who have the Vega now are having a good experience, 
But that good experience keeps getting better and better as they figure out ways to unlock the potential of this card. Basically, they released the card before they had the software to really unlock its full architecture. And we're seeing that here. Every single week, we see these new patches and bulks for the AMD drivers and cards, and it just keeps getting better. And that in itself is kind of cool. Again, I'm not happy that it didn't start out that way, but it is mm -hmm. pretty neat having a card that instead of it getting kind of worse and you start getting jealous of what everybody else has, it actually is getting better and faster than it was the month before, which is kind of neat. Yeah, which mm -hmm. is, it's, a, it's a negative in the idea that they released it before it was ready, but it's also really cool that you can, instead of having your hardware that's depreciative, like automatically, it's getting actually better. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's there's two sides to that coin. And I think that if you are going to release it before it's ready, at least make it ready at some point and then make it improvements as well. So that I, there you go. You know, at least they're compensating for that pr previous thing. So I'm, f I'm for it. All right. So we're going to hit in some gaming and then we're going to do our tips and tricks section. But the first game up is considered the Linux game of the year, potentially Michael, I'm pretty sure you would say rocket league. So I'm not even going to ask you, but Zeb, what would be what? the game yes. of the year for Linux in your opinion that you've played? That I've played. Yeah, <laughs> Dogafesto. Um, Dogafesto? Is it Dogafesto? It's close, but I think it's probably <laughs> going to have to be Bok. Oh, Ballistic Overkill. Ballistic so that would be overkill. a good one. Yep. That's only because the only other game I could mention is Euro Truck Simulator, and that's never going to win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's never going to win the year of the Linux. But I, but I did have a look at this, and I can see why um, they're excited about it. You know, you, you know by now that I'm not a gamer, but I can... And I am starting to appreciate what you and Michael are telling me about. It's not always the AAA graphics that, that win the day. But these, but these graphics are pretty damn good. Now, whether it's any good as the type of genre that it's portraying or not, mm -hmm. I don't know. But I was impressed enough by the video to think, yep, I can see why, why people would pick this. Yeah, this has a Metroid Castlevania-like feel. The gaming on Linux, who we love, we've had them on the show has basically said this could be the contender for game of the year for them on Linux. It's mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful 2D graphics on here. These are not cheaply, easily drawn graphics here. Somebody spent a ton of time on this artwork and the music and all of the secrets and maps that they have for this. The bosses look awesome. Uh, the action is just packed from beginning to end in this game. I absolutely cannot wait to get my hands on this one. Oh, I totally agree. And there's like the reviews for this is actually really, really good. Like there's levels where some comp some uh, reviewers are giving it like nine point eight out of ten, like yep. just insane uh, ratings and stuff like that. Um, and also, I'm referring to reviewers that aren't paid and just do ten out of ten automatically. Um, not those, um, <laughs> but the. Um, the, the there's another thing about Dead Cells because Dead Cells is a, is a look, cool looking game looks fun the gameplay looks really interesting and unique even though it's the, it's a platformer that you're kind of expecting to be a certain way that has a, like a lot of unique mechanics mm -hmm. but there was something else that happened a couple about a week ago roughly um, IGN announced a or showed their review of this game and it was a direct copy of someone else's review of this game oh interesting. Yeah. So, and then, like, into the point where the phrasing that they said was like 90% the oh same gosh. thing. Like, even the same words in the same order. And this, like, and the, and the person who found that they were copying were copying them. And they just put them side by side so you can watch a video of one of IGN's immediately copying the other one. And it's, it's interesting because, like, it, not only is it a great game, but it also has a little bit of drama around it. So, uh, gaming drama is not a very common thing in terms of like the press, but mm -hmm. what was this which, one's getting some? Yeah, and IG, IGN actually admitted that it was like they didn't realize it was a stolen thing because the person who wrote it was also the person who edited it. So that the no one reviewed the, the stuff he did. Interesting. Well, so. it's got to be tough to be doing uh, gaming news sites and things like that when you've got real you know, journalism happening on gaming at gaming on Linux. So there you go. Yeah, There's exactly. their plug. And then for <laughs> steam on this game, you talked about positive reviews that aren't paid for 15,000 people have reviewed this game so far. All very positive. 
So yeah. that alone should tell you. Now, this is not an easy game. So if you're mm -hmm. expecting to kind of just sit back and you don't like to die type of thing, you're going to have trouble playing this because there are no checkpoints. You kill, you die, you learn, you repeat. That's how this game's played. I, cool. I, I love these types of frustrating games that are just going to force me to not want to play, then I'll keep playing anyway. There you go. Um, yeah. that's now kind I know of, why you like it what... so much, Ryan, because you're always dying in Bach. Exactly. I mean, I'm right. This is right up my alley. I don't care if I die. <laughs> um, so another game that's that's come that has come to Linux is Forsaken Remastered, mm. and this one is a really interesting game because of the like the styles of the 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 visual styles and the fun, the gameplay styles and all the different game modes that are coming with it. Um, so what, what have you all have you checked it out? Mm hmm. Yes, this game looks absolutely very cool as well. Two really great games that I immediately added to my wish list when I saw them. Forsaken Remastered is out for Linux right now. It's a 3D brutal shooter. It reminded me of a game that I knew I played when I was younger, like in my teens. It was called Descent or something like that out there, but it looked almost exactly like it. And I thought, man, I've played this game before. Maybe it was Forsaken back then, and this is the remastered version. I don't know, but mm -hmm. I've played this game or something very similar to it before, and I loved it back then. And it just, for whatever reason, the Voodoo graphics card popped into my head. I feel like this game, or the one like it, came out when I first got a Voodoo, like NVIDIA graphics card or whatever it was uh, back in the day. So... Um, but anyways, the game looks very cool and fun, and the graphics, even though it's old and an older game and has been remastered, look fantastic to me. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I could could play because again, watching watching the video, it hasn't got that bobbing motion. This is more like a mm -hmm. smooth um, flying type game. So yeah, it's definitely one, as you say, put on your wish list and and wait for the next Steam sale to come along and then give it a whirl. Looks so looks pretty good. So if you're happy with Turok or Turok 2, this is the same team that's bringing this remaster. Is the same team that brought us Turok, which I picked up. I haven't played it yet, but I picked up for, for Linux as well. So the same team there has done this Forsaken remaster. Excellent. Yeah, it's, and also um, the same, the, you're referring to Iculus, I assume. And uh, Iculus is the one of the main, like he's like the long-term gaming for Linux uh, developer. To the point where, at one point, he was considered he was known as the Linux gaming industry. Wow! Because he did so much and pretty much did it by himself that, like, every time he makes something, every time something comes out that he is a part of making it, you can know that is a solid port. So this Very is fantastic nice. that you know he's being a part of this one as well. All right, so now we're on to our tips and tricks of the week. Zeb, kick us off here. Okay, um, so this is one that um, when I first saw it, I thought, hmm, what, what am I going to use this for? But the, the, the more you get into it and the more you look at it, the more it actually makes sense. Uh, now, what you can do is you can use a command called at, mm -hmm. and it's that simple, at, um, and you give it a specific time and a specific date, and then you press enter. Then you tell it, the command that you want it to do. Now, it could be something as simple as NeoFetch. Yep. Then you press, um, and I can't work out whether that's LS or IS. No, it's just Control-D. You just push Control-D to kill it. I was giving, there's an example. You could use LS as a simple command to execute. Ah, but once you I type gotcha. that command in, then you just hit Control-D. Control-D, and, and, and then it's scheduled. Set. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So where I thought this could be useful for is how many times have you sat there and you've you've kicked off a backup and then you thought, oh, God, I've got to wait 40 minutes now for it to do it. Don't worry about it now. If you leave your computer on overnight, set this off to start off at 10 o'clock uh, of an evening or one o'clock, whatever time you go to bed. Set up an R-Sync to another um, directory somewhere else on another drive. And when you wake up in the morning, it's all completed and it's all done and dusted. So there you go. It's at... You put your date and time in, or you put your time and then your date. Press enter. Enter the command you want. And I've got a question for Michael when I finish. And then just control D to kill the command prompt, and then it will be scheduled. So that command that you put in, Michael, could that be a shell script? Absolutely. I was about to say that. I was about to say the, the most powerful. Like it, it seems like this might not be 
as useful to some people, but the fact that you can take it and just run a shell script, you could make it do whatever you want and as many things as you want, and not have to worry about whether it happened or not, because it'll mm-hmm. also give you like an output telling you it happened. Um, nice. so, so there's, there's that benefit. And I think that this is a very easy to use solution outside of like something like cron because cron is allows you, gives you like very specific and like kind of esoteric in the way it works because it's very custom of how you set everything up. So cron is more like a, a power users a bit approach to scheduling things. And this is a much simpler system to just say, make it at this time and this date and it'll schedule it. Whereas mm-hmm. cron is do it this time, you know, based on like half of like based on the minutes, the seconds from now and like things like that. This is a much more user-friendly aspect, and I am totally on board of this. So our patrons are recommending in chat, Michael, that you could use this to troll somebody by our, uh, using the sudo rm-rf command and then schedule that for at midnight. So if you don't like somebody, go to their computer, you use the at command, then you run away from it, and then at midnight, boom, their computer's faster. Well, I, yeah, their was, computer's I, faster. <laughs> Good thing sudo requires a password. <laughs> yeah, now I was thinking something a bit more childish. Like, you know your colleague at work is using Linux, and he's got a very important uh, meeting that he's got to attend at 12 o'clock. So when he shoots out to the coffee break because nobody locks their machine, you just put an at-on that shuts the machine down at 11.59. It. <laughs> so, so he comes back. He's just about to dial into his meeting. Poof. The machine goes. Or you can mess with the people in like various different ways of like uh, automatically scheduling their, their wallpaper to change. I, I love how instead thing. of actually figuring out how to use this usefully, we've all just <laughs> figured out ways to troll our coworkers. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> April Fool's jokes. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. So we have a software spotlight as well. And this week it is G-Pick. This is our software pick of the week. You can match any color you have in photo or web page with Spacebar and just a couple of clicks here. Now, Michael, as a web developer, this has to be something really useful for you. Uh, yes, I think color pickers are actually fantastic and they, they provide a lot of benefits to like basically anything. A designer of any kind would be beneficial, Like would find this a good option because being able to not have to worry about getting the colors like directly on your screen accurate to what you see because c- c- you can calib- calibrate your your monitor but you have to do that often mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily need to calibrate every monitor so if you calibrate one and it's correct the correct color you want and you move that window to another uh, another monitor that color is going to be probably wrong and it'll look right. weird but in this way you can just use the color picker and get an exact perfect uh pick a drop of like what color that's supposed to be so it makes it a lot easier to do you know make doing a lot of different uh, modifications to like gradients and things like that without having to do a ton of effort and being able to choose like what type of color output it gives you like rgb or cmyk or hex makes a lot of stuff like, much more convenient um so there's also another no don't do it michael uh, <laughs> don't you do it michael <laughs> We picked I, I, one software. You do not ruin it. You do not so, ruin it. So GPIC is a good tool, and I uh-huh. will say something after mentioning this, but I will say that GPIC is a very good tool, and I do okay. like it. But there also happens to be another application that happens to be made by KDE called Color Chooser, but technically it's K-Color Chooser. Oh, my gosh. Of course and it is. I did say Color Chooser properly. It's so... It sh- it actually should just be take the word color and put K instead. Why is it K color juice? That's that is the silliest thing. Yeah, like, it's very lazy. It's like you you could there is an already a super lazy thing to do, and you didn't even do that. I think uh, despite them, I'm going to call it KCLer chooser. <laughs> KCLer chooser. I like it. I like it. So so K color chooser is actually a really good tool. That provides the same kind of thing. It's it doesn't have all of the different color of outputs that GPIC does, and I would say that as a as a fan of the KDE project, uh, GPIC is better than K Color Chooser. Whoa! Look at that. See, Michael, you heard it here first. Yeah, Michael can at times not be just a KDE fanboy, but with that oh. said, I, no, I do stop. 
end of show. Roll no, credits. No, we can't. We can't have end of show because I do have to do one particular thing, and that's just to say that uh, the K Color Chooser uh, dialogue system is built into other applications, which mm-hmm. is a better a benefit. So even though it's not as good, being able to say you know uh, launch something from your uh, file manager even or launch it from GIMP or something like that and automatically open up a color chooser that's built into the system is fantastic. So mm-hmm. there is that. Um, like the integration is really good, but you know, GPEG is better. There you go. <laughs> that's enough for this episode. I <laughs> so, um, you know, a big thank you to each and every one of you supporting us by watching and listening to Destination Linux. Um, you know, so like there's we also appreciate any type of uh, feedback you can give us and Zeb how can they get a hold of us Well as you can remember, as you remember I do this every week so I can almost read it off now without without looking at my monitor um, but you please remember that you can get back to us and I know I keep repeating it week after week but it really is important um, and we've been so lucky these last 3 weeks to have three totally different emails um, but explaining why Linux was important to them and, and, and how it works for them and, and why it's made a difference to their life. Um, so keep, keep those emails coming in. You can, you, can get, you can get those emails to us on comments at destinationlinux.org. You can get us in our Telegram group. You can get us on Discord and Mumble and on our website, which is destinationlinux.org. You can get us on Google Plus and Twitter. And of course, you can add your comments uh, to the show when it's published at the end of the week. So we really do like reading them and and we try to answer as many of them uh, as we can. So please keep it coming. There you go. And I'm going to be Michael this week and say, you need to like that smash button, man. You need to like (laughs) that smash button. Exactly. I completely agree. (laughs) Because, you know, likes, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. The more you engage with us, the more we know about what you like and what you don't like about the show. Uh, hopefully you like more than you don't. So, <laughs> but anyway, definitely like that smash button. And uh, everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as vital as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. You just had to change that up, didn't you? <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> it's just as vital as the destination. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Destination Linux Podcast. You know, the patrons come here with the understanding that the show starts at 4.30, and it doesn't look like the show's starting at 4.30, Michael. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay, if you would like to help me, um, will you take the, the even number... Articles. I'm just wow, that was not going to work. Whatever you were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said I'll just do it. Because it's like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we expect nothing and are rarely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that?